Hello, baseball fans. Welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year, unless it's a leap year, and then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and it is now Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2016, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this from the Sully Baseball Studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Detroit Tiger world champion Dan Petrie, a name that's going to come up later in this podcast. Hey, uh, I have a little Christmas Eve treat for you. If you celebrate Christmas, great. If you don't, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas Eve anyway. Uh, Back in June, I recorded an interview with Larry Herndon who was a member of the San Francisco Giants and played up the street in what was Candlestick Park. He played in the Cardinal organization, was traded to the San Francisco Giants, and we had part two of our interview, which was talking about his days playing with the Detroit Tigers when they won the World Series in 1984. Well, guess what? I kind of held on to that, put it in my back pocket, and said, I'm going to wait for a time when, you know what? It'll be like a treat. It'll be like a little present for my fans to hear Larry Herndon talk about his days with the Detroit Tigers, which means he played on two of the great and most exciting Detroit Tigers season in their history, in their world championship season in 1984, and their down-to-the-wire title to win the AL East in 1987. And he played a big, big part of that. So let's listen to the second part of the interview with Larry Herndon. Uh, <laughs> my friends who are Tiger fans, man, they are there. I've never met a casual Tiger fan. You know, they yeah. are, they are diehard and they, and you know, you bring up 84 and their eyes just absolutely light up. Like that is the year that everything good happened in their life. And uh, you, you came over to Detroit in a trade for Dan Schatzeter, I'm still not convinced he's retired. I'm still convinced there's somewhere I'll I'll turn on like the Blue Jays or I'll turn on the Brewers or someone and there's Schatzeter warming up. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> when you found out you were yeah. traded, what what was how did you find out and what what were you thinking when you were going to get dealt to the American League? Well, uh, you know, I sort of felt like I was going to get traded that winter. Uh, but I end up, I believe, Sparky Anderson called me, told me we had just traded. We just traded. But it was a, it was a straight pleasure, especially after talking to Sparky. And he told me, you know, what was going on in Detroit. I don't know. I can't, it's hard to describe. I mean, like they were saying, it's the greatest year that you had. That was one of the greatest teams or the greatest stretch of baseball that I have ever been through, you know. Well, it must give you uh, a little bit of, it must give you a little bit of pride whenever you know because the Cubs are off to this amazing start this year that any time uh-huh. they talk about that they immediately compare they say it's, we haven't seen a start like this since the nineteen eighty four Tigers it's like the Tigers yeah. start that you guys got off to is to this day the standard of the best start that anyone's ever seen yeah I mean that start it was oh. It's, it, it, you know, you look back on it and it's like, wow, did we really do that? <laughs> yeah, uh, you did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did. And uh, But when you were in it, well, we were just, I mean, 
after the 83 season, the, the September sort of 83, Baltimore won the thing, but we felt like we were a better team because uh, toward the end there, we were beating Baltimore. Right. And they went on to win the World Series in 83. So we came to spring training knowing that we were pretty good, uh, without a doubt. There was no doubt in our mind that we were the best team in the American League. So we just went to spring training and worked. But that first 40 games, I mean, it was just every day just grinding and things were happening right for us. Uh, and it was just, that's just key. Don't even look back to yesterday. Don't look forward to the bar. Let's go out here and get it done. And it was somebody new every day making something happen. It was just, you know, it's really hard to describe. You know, being in it, though, it was just it was just so smooth and, and the way it should have been. It's like the script was written and we went out and uh, got it done. And a ton of close games. I mean, I mean, I have the schedule up in front of me. You win 35. If you, those of you who don't remember, this team won 35 of the first 40 games they played. I mean, this division was done before Memorial Day. I remember. I mean, that this was it by, let's say I'm going to have the exact number here, but by the uh, 24th of May, the Tigers were eight and a half games in first, I mean, it was like, oh, the season's over, and it's not June. And yeah. you went on a couple more big runs, wound up winning the division by 15 games. And yeah. the likes, I mean, if you take a look at the, the stats, you had the one great year from Willie Hernandez out of the bullpen, and you had mm-hmm. just a bunch of very good seasons from a lot of people. Right. It wasn't like right. the one dominant player overwhelmed it. It was just everyone had a good year that year, and it right. was amazing. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of the, you know, like the seven years I played there, that just sort of the, uh, the, was the approach of everybody. Like, whatever it takes to get the win today, let's get it done. And we had faith. That was so much faith in that guy that was on the mound that day or that guy at the plate that day that it's going to get done. I don't care who it is. It could be Randy Coons. It could be, I mean, Rusty Coons. It could be Tom Brookings. It could be It could be a number of guys. We had that faith that that was going to happen. But my point is that uh, those, those big stats wasn't there, but it seems like everybody was so focused on whatever it takes to win. They were really – there was – it was the most unselfish group of guys that I've ever been around. And it was just so sane in the clubhouse. You walk in there, it was just like family. And we well, knew what we had to do when we got on the field. Well, you set the tone for a lot of that, quite frankly, because in 82 and 83 were probably your two best years statistically, certainly at that point. I mean, you're batting 300 or around there, hitting 20-some-odd home runs, driving around 90 runs, having a high slugging percentage and everything. And then in that offseason, and you're, play, and you're playing full-time, and then in the uh-huh. offseason they bring in Rupert Jones to platoon with you. Was there a moment of feeling like, oh, what the heck is this about, or realizing, no, this makes us better, well, let's go do this? This makes us better, let's go do this. This is all our... See, this is what this is what this team, this group was about. We're like the more good ball players you got, the better we are. Yeah. So Rupert was just an outstanding player and person. He fit right into what we were doing. I didn't have any complaints about that. I mean, bring in as many. I I had enough confidence in my 
confidence in myself to know my game is going to be okay. Now, I don't worry about that. So mm-hmm. it was just great. And Rupert just, like I said, said I hated to lose Rupert, you know, in the 85 year. Yeah. Uh, after he left, that was just, that hurt us, you know. So. All right, let's get down to it because the you guys win the division easy. It's not even, I don't think anyone even gave you a challenge. And then you swept the Royals for the pennant. This is back when it was the the last year was best of five. So you just swept the Royals and Royals had a nice team, but come on, who are we kidding? And you guys get to the World Series. Everyone in the world thinks it's going to be Tigers Cubs. Padres somehow right. win and yeah. take that lead early. And I remember watching that World Series. And I had Gary Templeton on this program talking about that playoffs of World Series, and nobody gave the Padres any chance. But they got out to that 2 nothing lead, and when it starts to, the, the, starts to get further, it's like, okay, it's first inning, second inning. Okay, we're in the fifth now. You're thinking, if they can steal a game, you're, you're doing all that sort of, you know, the machinations go out of your mind. If they steal game one, will that be the – could they upset them? And mm-hmm. with uh, nobody on – and two outs, Mr. Parrish hits a double. You came up against Mr. Mark Thurman. Now, can you please talk me through whatever memories you have of that three-and-one pitch you got from Mr. Mark Thurman in the top of the fifth of game one? Okay. Um, <laughs> I have a great, really good memory of this. Uh, I'll tell you this. <clears throat> we talk about uh, 84. But I'm going to go back just one step here to 83. Mm-hmm. We had a guy in the clubhouse who was a great leader, great, I don't know, influence on everybody that was in that clubhouse named Enos Cabell. I don't mm. know if you remember me. Oh, I remember Enos, Enos Cabell. Yeah, Enos played with us in 83 and uh, just wonderful man, taught us a lot of stuff. Uh, but that day before, before we got there, Enos visited us. He, had, he came back to the clubhouse before the before the game, gave us a little rundown on Mark, Mr. Mark Thurman because he had went back to Houston in the National League. He said, he's going he's gonna to try to set you up. He's going to throw these little breaking balls to you, and then he's going to work his fastball away. You know, if he can get behind, he's going to work his fastball away. So I got ahead of him, and all I was looking for is a fastball away. And he threw me one exactly where I was looking, and fortunately I got the barrel on it and hit it out. So I had had a little, a little scouting report, and I was looking for that pitch, and I got it. I mean, I, that spot, that everything, uh, I, the, the pitch, the speed, everything, I had it all in, locked in my mind, and I got it, and I moved. Well, so what you're trying to tell me is that while I and every Tiger fan on the planet Earth give you credit for that, we should at least get an assist for Enos Cabell. No, we're not a doubt. <laughs> Without a doubt, yes, sir. So, I just had a good scouting report there, and, and you know, fortunately, I got the pitch, and I didn't miss it. I didn't foul it back. So, uh, but uh, I don't think we looked at it as I don't think we had any doubt in our mind about losing that game, even when we were behind. Well, keep in mind, as playing. a fan, as a fan, I had just seen them beat the Cubs, who I thought the Cubs were so much better than they were. So I thought maybe this was kind of like, oh, the Cinderella team. They're they're finally in the yeah. finally in the World Series. Maybe maybe. Oh no no no, not gonna happen. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I, I can't, I can't really agree with you there about. Uh, I don't know. I didn't play against the Cubs that year, and I, you know, we we were packed to go to Chicago, uh, and it was just a sort of a shock uh, the way that last game for the Cubs turned out, and then we had to catch up. An immediate, we were going to go to Chicago the next morning, and uh, if, if, if Chicago loses, we had to pack and leave that night about 11.30 or between 11.30 and midnight. So right. we had to scramble as soon as we heard the Cubs had lost and go to San Diego. But uh, we thought San Diego was a pretty good team also. I mean, I don't think that was nothing. They had a pitching staff that was outstanding. Oh yeah, uh, and they had good players. I mean, you talk about Gary Templeton and Mike Reynolds, you know they, Tony Gwynn, yeah. and they had some players. You know Steve Garvey. They they had they had a pretty good team themselves. So we didn't think we didn't uh, take them lightly at all. Oh, I didn't say you were taking them lightly. I'm saying as a fan, I just was thinking like, oh, <laughs> this is going to be a blowout, and then you know, yeah. So yeah, and I heard that uh, everybody was talking about that uh, we would probably be a Better matchup for the, you know, the, it would be a better matchup between the Tigers and the Cubs, but I don't know, you know, like I said, I didn't keep up with the Cubs uh, at that time. I didn't know what 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 the deal was there, but we ran into a pretty good team and we were just playing well. So they get to that point with two outs. Will the great Willie Hernandez, who had that incredible season, on the mound, and I believe it was. Was it? I believe Gwynn was the last batter, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, actually, let me double check that. Uh, yeah, Tony Gwynn hits a fly ball to you. So, as a kid, I always used to fantasize about making the last out of the World Series. You have actually done that. <laughs> so, just you're in left field. Great, Tony Gwynn is at the plate. Just tell me. If anything's going through your mind, what's going on as you see that fly ball heading right for you, and at that moment when you became champs? Well, you know, like again, we we had, you know had a scouting report. I was over towards left, uh, and Tony, you know, he, there you go, he hit that, he hit the ball over. There it is. It's up. It's a semi line drive to the left, and it's like I'm over here, but I got to run to get it. So. Once I saw it off his bat and up, right, mm-hmm. it's like I know it's two outs. And everything just slowed down. The whole world, just the whole, I mean, it's like everything was like in pure slow motion. Wow. And I'm running like the devil, but it just seemed like it was in slow motion. So in my mind, it's like, wow, this is what I've been waiting on all my playing career is a world championship. If I can catch this ball, that I mean, you would believe that went through my mind. I believe it. it. I totally it believe it. I totally believe yeah. it. Here it is. Squeeze it. So I just run, and like I said, everything just seemed to be in such slow motion. And then I get it, and wow, I squeeze it, and I hold on to it, and then everything just sort of erupts. And that's when everything speeds up. The fans start to jump out of the stands. <laughs> it's like I better get good. To this dugout, or I'm not gonna make it there without my shirt, hat, and whatever this ball or my glove. It was just a wonderful, wonderful feeling. I mean, I can't uh, describe the joy, you know. Of, like I said, you playing all your life, and this is your first world championship, and there it is. Hold on to it. So, 
That's what it was. But like, I, I can't describe the slowness of it. It was very slow. Wow. That's unbelievable. I mean, that that's kind of how I was hoping you would describe it, because that's just that sense of all this going through your mind, and you never have to wonder, am I ever going to win a championship? Am I ever going to? Nope. If I just catch this, I got I it. Just hold on. Yeah. And so do, you, do, you, yeah. do you remember the celebration or the parade or anything like that? I mean, or is that all just a, is that all just like a blur? Well, I remember uh, going, you know, uh, making it to the dugout and the joy that was there between those, you know, my teammates and or whatever, and uh, the hugs and uh, how can I put it? The joy in the clubhouse. I remember all that. It sticks with you. It'll never leave. Yeah. Uh, um. I remember us having to stay in the clubhouse. We stayed there, I don't know, probably into the night, uh, just enjoying one another. So, uh, yeah, it sticks with you. It stays with you. The parade bands out in a, quite a few ways. I rode with Dwight Lowry, who was just passed away. He was okay. one of my great teammates. Uh, so I, that stands out, me and him sitting there and enjoying each other and the crowd and Riding in the convertible together, uh, so I'll never forget that. And uh, so it was really a great day. I mean, I remember the people of Detroit. They were always, they was always, uh, they always treated us just wonderful. I mean, it was, it was just a party. It was a great time. Yeah, I, you've been very generous with your time, and I, and I really, really do appreciate it. But I got to bring up the. It's where we started talking about candlestick. Um, uh-huh. And I distinctly remember being at Candlestick Park the last day of the 87 season. And it was the Giants were going to the playoffs, and I was there with a friend of mine just watching. It was, it was like Fan Appreciation Day, last day of the regular season. So we're there. And throughout the day and throughout the game there, they were putting up updates of the final game between the Tigers and the Blue Jays. Uh-huh. Because we were all, you know, we didn't have the internet back then. You could follow it the way you do now, but that that bizarre end of the year, what's going to happen? Are the to the Blue Jays who I thought were going to win the World Series that year because they were so That's good, and good. and just there, the Tigers couldn't lose. The Blue Jays suddenly couldn't win. You get to that three game <laughs> series, and that final day. Just give me a capsule version of that completely bananas 1987 September where you somehow caught the best team in baseball. Right. That was the most wild and uh, probably uh, second to 84 most joy uh, I've had in, in a, a season. Right. Uh, because of the way the guys in, in our clubhouse just grind and stayed with it and stayed with it. But like you said, that Blue Jay team was uh, really stacked that year. They had a really, really good team. Uh, but we had a, uh, a group of really tough guys that stayed with it. But that last two weeks, uh, you know, uh, uh, the games against the Blue Jays and the Tigers, they were all one-run games. Yeah. Uh, oh, God, that was the most intense baseball that I've ever played in a stretch like that. I mean, the crowds in Toronto, the crowds in Detroit, and just, oh, it was just, I, I, it's hard to describe it. I mean, the World Series, you get a feeling in the World Series, which is different than any other baseball you play, 
Right. But these last two weeks had that feeling. So you were sort of drained daily uh, trying to catch them. And we got help from Milwaukee. Uh, they went to Milwaukee, and Milwaukee beat them and uh, kept everything together until those last three days. But, uh, you know, we st- we kept plugging, and we got to that last day. And all I was thinking about that game is Frankie is pitching. Frankie Sedana mm-hmm. is pitching a heck of a game here. we got to find a way to get him a run. Uh, I don't know. I hit the, oh, I don't even remember what it was. It was early in the game, so I hit a home run. I didn't never, I never thought it would hold up. Uh, but we were just trying to get Frankie a run against Jimmy Key, who was unbelievable oh, that year. Unbelievable. Unbelievably tough. I mean, that was no fun. I mean, I usually didn't have trouble against lefties, but this guy here always, it, him and Frank, Frank was, I'm glad Frank came to Detroit because he gave me trouble. But uh, Jimmy Key was just uh, a master. Yeah. Uh, and uh, he made one mistake, and I got enough of it. The ball didn't go that far over the fence, but I got enough of it for a home run. Never thought it would hold up. I didn't even. I was just a home run. I've hit a home run before. Okay, let's go play defense. Let's hold on to this because Frankie is pitching. And Frankie shut him out. For those of you who don't remember that, the last basically about 14 days of the season, the Tigers and the Blue Jays played each other seven times. Three of them were walk-off wins. Two of them were extra inning games. I mean, they just were like all seven games were one-run games. And yeah. just could have a bounce here or a bounce there, and the Blue Jays would have been in the playoffs. Instead, a bounce here and a bounce there, and it was it was one of the most intense about twelve days of baseball. And I'm neither a Tiger nor a Blue Jay fan, <laughs> and I was losing my mind over it. <laughs> yeah, it was intense. I mean, it really was. And it goes out to the last day of the season, which made it much more intense. Uh, wow. I mean, from the minor leagues, high school. Everywhere I've been, I've never, uh, you know, had uh, a season championship decided the last day until the end. That was the first time that ever happened to me. But like I said, it was really an intense, thick uh, pressure day right there. And you had, and that was you were a part-time player that year, but you had a great year. I mean, you batted 324 that year, and you had one of the best slugging percentages you had of your career that year. I mean, you had a, as Sparky just had a way of plugging in, whether it was you or Johnny Grubb or Dave Bergman, whomever it was, he just managed to put in the right guy at the right time and get right. offense from them. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And like I said, we just we we had this thing about, you know, doing what it takes to win. We had the right guys to do that. I mean, the attitude and the approach was uh, whatever it takes. So. Uh, but Sparky was great at that. He He knew – the right people to have around him. He knew when to use them. He was the all-time best. He was a wonderful man. You still keep in touch with a lot of people from the uh, from your Tiger days? Well, there are times I run into a few, and there are phone numbers we call each other from time to time. Uh, Dan Peacher and myself, we stay in touch pretty good. Yeah, I'm, I'm in Palo Alto. Uh, he's, he's a native of Palo Alto. I'm recording this from the birthplace of Dan Petrie, so there you go. Okay, yeah. He's a he's a different cat. He he's a California guy that moved to Detroit, and uh, he's been there ever since uh, his playing days, uh, and putting up with those winters and loving every bit of it. <laughs> he loves the, the, the snow and ice. So, uh, but so I stay in touch with him, mm-hmm. but more than than, than most. 
Uh, when I was coaching, I was running the chat a lot. Yeah. Men who would talk. We still stay in touch. Uh, and I run into most of uh, you know, the guys through fantasy camps or this, that, and the other in Detroit from time to time. So yeah. They're always brothers. They always be my brothers. Yeah. And I can tell you from my from my many Tiger fan friends, you you never have to buy a drink for the rest of your life if you ever beat any of them because they're all, anyone who who played a day in the '84 Tigers is uh, is uh, um, just beloved. So yeah. Well, thank look at, you. It goes right back to everybody. I mean, the people in Detroit, they we loved them right back. We still love them right back. You know, when we go there, it's just a really a beautiful thing. You know, having those reunions and seeing them and it's, it's, it's still a love forever, 22. I'm so glad I was able to go. I did manage to go to one game at Tiger Stadium, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I actually saw it the best way you can. It was They were playing Toronto. It was 91, and you still had Whitaker, and you still had Sparky, and you still had uh, Alan Trammell, and a few of the uh-huh. other people were still there, and they were playing Toronto, and so the place was jam-packed. Uh-huh. And so I got to be there, not empty. It was there. On the, it was a day game. It was a beautiful day game. Yeah. Standing yeah. room only. Tiger fans going crazy. But there were a lot of you know Canadians there waving their yeah. Canada flags and and uh, rooting for Robbie Alomar and Joe Carter. So that was. Yeah. I'm glad that that was how I experienced Tiger Stadium. That it was just yeah. packed and passionate. So yeah, that that very. I mean, just describing it bring back memories. Uh, did you see an octopus thrown on the field? Did anything get thrown on the field? Usually, an octopus would fly from the stands or squid well, or something. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I wasn't going to go down this this path, but I will tell you two things that happened there. Um, it was this is when the Blue Jays were really starting to become. You know, they were great when you guys played them. Then they had their makeover, so they brought in like Joe Carter and Robbie Alomar yeah. and. Um, I don't think Jack Morris was there yet, but you know they were starting to bring in more stars to establish stars, and and Devon White—that was the name I was trying to think of. Uh-huh, uh-huh, and so uh-huh. Devon White was the first batter of the game, and he hit a home run on the second pitch of the game. Robbie Alomar then wound up uh, hitting a home run on the third pitch, and then Joe Carter came up and they threw at his head, and there was a bench clearing brawl. And I turned to my dad. My dad and I used to go on these baseball trips. I turned to my dad and said, like, we're four pitches into this game. We can go if you want. I mean, this is – we have everything you want to have. And I'm going to guess it must have been around the sixth or seventh inning. It wasn't an octopus on the field. It was Morgana the Kissing Bandit. Oh, wow. That's funny. That's, she jumped that's off the crazy. field and ran towards Olerud. Olerud uh-huh. freaked out, and Olerud ran to right field because he didn't know what the hell was going on. Robbie yeah. Alomar opened up his arms because he was more than willing to accept the kiss from Morgana. <laughs> and Morgana gave Robbie Alomar a kiss, and she, the police came out, and the place went absolutely bananas. It was so oh, much fun. So, yeah, no octopus thrown on the field, but Morgana uh-huh. bandit. So I guess that's, oh, that is true. that's Detroit. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Something I could tell my kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Mr. Herndon, I really appreciate your time. This was a this was a lot of fun for me because I remember those games like they were yesterday. I can't imagine what they must feel like for you. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. I enjoy it. Thank you for calling. 
Thank you so much, Larry Hearn. It was wonderful talking with you. And I hope some of you appreciated some of the memories. And he got to catch the last out of a World Series. Top that. I can't top that. He did it. So, anyway, have a wonderful Christmas Eve, Christmas, whatever the hell you celebrate. I hope it's a wonderful time. Go to SullyBaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talking about the 84 and 87 Tiger glory years at Tiger Stadium. This has been the Solid Baseball Daily Podcast for Christmas Eve 2016. Santa's coming, and I hope you have a wonderful night. This is your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.